Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, guests and visitors, welcome. We know that uh, many of you are here, uh, probably visiting family or friends, maybe from out of town, and we're glad that you're here. My name is Penny. I'm the pastor here at Christ the King, and we're happy that you're with us and that we can celebrate together the birth of our Savior. He is the one who has come, and he is the one who is coming again, and he is the one that we worship. And so it is good to be with you as we worship him. Well, friends, if you have a Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. You can follow along in your order of service. The passage is printed there for you. Um, over the last few weeks, as we've been uh, going through this Advent time, we've been in a series looking at the first two chapters in the Gospel of Luke. And one of the reasons we've been doing this is because these two chapters tell us of the coming of our Lord Jesus. They are the birth narrative of Christ the King. And so we've been looking at them. And one of the things that we've noted as we've looked at them is that we have the first of the Christian hymns. So we have these songs that were sung in preparation for Jesus' coming as well as when he came. The song of Mary, the song of the angels, the song of Zechariah. And this morning, we have the last of these first Advent hymns, the song of Simeon. The song that is sung over the Savior as this man, Simeon, beholds him, takes him in his arms. The weight is no more. He sings that Christ, the King, has come. And so let us hear these words of this song. We're going to begin our reading in verse 21. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your, your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Probably about eight years ago, uh, I was sitting in one of my last classes in seminary. It was end of April, beginning of May. The class was preparation for licensure and ordination. This was a class that every MDiv student had to go through because we were about to embark on the gauntlet that is the ordination exam. And so I was sitting there in this class, sitting in the second row where I sat every class, 
I got in there a little bit early, like I had every other class before that. I am generally a person who gets there on time, and so I sat there and I waited. I had my computer open. I was checking my email or ESPN or something like that. I, I was just waiting for the professor to come in and start the class. And as I was waiting, a friend of mine came, and he sat right in front of me. This was nothing new. He had sat in front of me the entire semester, and so I casually looked up, gave him a little head nod, and went back to my email. But, but as I lowered my eyes, I noticed something out of the corner of my eye, something that I had never noticed before. See, my friend, he sat down in his chair, and beside him, something sat alongside him, the most beautiful leather bag I had ever seen put it down right beside him, and now this caught my attention. I ignored my friend and just stared at the bag, this wonderful leather bag, thick leather and metal, metal buckles and this wonderful strap. It was big enough to hold a computer as well as books, and so I started peppering my friend with questions. Where did you get it? Who made this? How did you come, come to get this? You know, who gave it to you? Surely you didn't get it yourself, and, and then other friends actually noticed how beautiful this bag was, and we were all standing there talking before the professor came in. And come to find out, this was an early graduation gift. And in that moment, I knew exactly what I wanted. <laughs> now, now I, I wasn't going to get it for graduation because I'd already told my family and, and my friends what, what I wanted, and so they were already going to get it. But this was going to be a graduation gift for me, from me. <laughs> and so I started saving, and I started waiting. And graduation came and went started my new job. Months went by as I continued to save and wait, and finally I had enough money, and there was a sale going on, and so I went on the website and hit buy. The next day, my email pinged. The bag was on its way, and I was full of excitement. I was checking every single day, multiple times a day, following the tracking numbers, waiting and hoping that the truck would somehow move faster than trucks normally moved. I'm checking again and again as I waited for this bag to arrive. Well, finally, I looked, and it had arrived at the, the sorting station. You know, UPS, they all come to this one place, and then they go out on the truck for delivery. But it was the day before Thanksgiving, and I knew that there was no way it was leaving that day. And so I started thinking in my head, I, I won't get it today. I won't get it on Thanksgiving. Do they deliver on Friday? I'm not sure. What about Saturday? I mean, it's a holiday. This is going to mess things up. And so maybe I could show up at the sorting station. It's in my city, and I could have my ID and show it to them, and they would find it and give it to me, right? No, they probably won't do that. So then I started thinking, well, maybe there's a truck driver who just needs a little bit of extra money for the, for the, you know, for the holidays. And so he's going to get some overtime, and he's going to make one delivery. And just by good providence, he's going to pick my bag to be delivered on Thanksgiving Day, you know. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen either. And so I waited, and I waited, and I waited. I hate waiting. Waiting's hard. It's hard, especially when you know it's just about to arrive and you can't get it. Waiting is hard. We've all experienced this waiting. Kids, you've experienced it. Probably leading up to this morning, you've been experiencing that waiting, that that desire to tear open the gifts, to rip apart the paper and take out that toy. Maybe even right now you're waiting because maybe your parents said you can't open the gifts until after the service or, yeah, I got some head nods. Or, or maybe it's you're, you're waiting to play with it and you're wondering, how long is this guy going to keep talking because I don't want to wait anymore. We know what waiting is like, don't we? Not just children, but adults. 
You know what waiting is like. Minutes can feel like hours. Hours can feel like days. And it can feel so hard to keep waiting. Well, in the passage that we just read, we have a man who is waiting. A man named Simeon. He is waiting with bated breath for an incredible promise. Something good and sweet. Something that is amazing that has been promised to him. And he waits with this great expectation that the promise would be fulfilled. We read of him in verses 25 and 26. We hear that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, we don't know very much about Simeon. We know very, very little about Simeon. Some have speculated that perhaps he was a priest because he was at the temple. Others have thought that maybe he was an old man, that he was nearing his death. Both of those may be true. They both may be false. We're not sure. The passage doesn't tell us. All it says is that he was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for this promise. What a promise it was. A promise that he would actually see and behold the Lord's Christ. That he would see the Messiah. Think about that. This is a promise that was made first to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A promise that one would come and that the light would go out from God into the nations. That all the world would be offered salvation. A promise that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never saw. A promise that was made through the mouths of the prophets. Isaiah spoke and said that the Messiah would come through the birth of a virgin. He never saw that birth take place. A promise that was made to David and to every king after him. That one in the line of David would sit upon David's throne and his kingdom would be everlasting. It would have no end. Yet David never glimpsed that king. Simeon. This promise that was made to him, not just the promises of old that he could cling to, but a special promise that he would actually see in the flesh the Messiah. That he would see the coming of the Lord. We don't know how long he waited, maybe days or weeks or months. We don't know how long in advance the promise had been made. I mean, I started to wonder, like, with every child that went by him, did he start to think, is that the one? That when he went to the temple every day, did did he think, is he going to arrive today? Now, the promise didn't say that that he would behold the Messiah as a child. So maybe he started thinking, well, maybe it's that like 45-year-old guy that just walked by. Maybe that's the, is he the one? How many children passed by? How many adults did he wonder? How many people did he think, is this the day that the Messiah would come? that I would glimpse him, that I would behold him, that I would take hold of the one that was promised. He waited. You could imagine that after a little while, maybe he started to wonder, maybe I misunderstood the promise. Maybe I misread it. That that after a little while, maybe his expectation started to turn into impatience. Yet he waited. Waited. We don't know how long he waited. We don't know how many children he saw, but we do know that his waiting was not in vain. 
His waiting was not in vain, that actually when Jesus came, it was worth the wait. We actually know that because of how he responds when Jesus is presented at the temple. Simeon takes him in his arms, and he looks into the face of God. That is amazing. Like, we need to stop and just ponder that for a minute. Like, we love to think about Jesus, this baby, this cute little infant that was born. But Simeon, this one who had been given life from God, now holds in his arms the very one who gave him that life. And he beholds his face. He stares into the face of the second person of the Trinity. He beholds the king of the universe. And he says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. That phrase, your servant depart in peace, that, that's basically code for I can die a happy man. My life is complete We don't know how many years he had left. Maybe it was 10 or 15. Maybe it was 30 or 50. But what he is saying is now that he has seen the Lord's Christ, now that he has seen the Messiah, he can go and be with the Lord. His life is complete. I wonder what would cause us to say that. What sort of thing would we have to experience in our life to say that our life is complete, that that we can now die with peace? What would we have to see? What would we have to touch? What would we have to hear that, that we would echo the words of Simeon and say, my life is complete. My life is full. A few years ago, uh, there was a movie, I'm going to date myself a little bit, a movie called Jerry Maguire. You guys have seen this, right? Okay. There's a couple of phrases in this movie that captured the imagination of a lot of people in our country. You, you probably know them. The first was by Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character. You know what his phrase was? Show me the money. That's right. Show me the money, right? Okay, and it would make it sound like his character was all about money, right? All about wealth, all about uh, accumulating uh, great sums of, of money, but actually come to find out, his life wasn't really about that. The thing that drove his life was his family, his wife, his love. Well, that's the first phrase that that people started to echo and to parrot, but there was another phrase, the one that I actually want us to think about a little bit more. It came at the end of the movie, and this one was uttered by Jerry himself. Do Do you know what these three words were? You complete me. You complete me. Do you remember when he said that? The The movie's nearing its end. He's been married, and now he and his wife are separated, right? They're moving towards divorce. Their their relationship's falling apart, and so he's been giving his energies to other things, to his career, to his vocation. He's discovered discovered a, a new way of doing his job. He's found friendship and what that means, and yet he still has this emptiness inside. And so he comes barreling through his wife's door, and he gives this impassioned speech, and he says, you complete me. Romantic and heartwarming. And I bet that, that most of the eyes in the theaters, when they heard those fra- that phrase, were just filled with tears, right? People crying, this is amazing. And, and I can't, can't even imagine how many people injected those words into their vows at weddings over the next year. You complete me. What was he saying? My life finds peace with you. What do we think about that? What do we think about that? What, 
what would we say completes us? What would we say gives us satisfaction, fullness of life? Relationship? Husband, wife, children? Maybe not a relationship. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's being CEO or CFO or, or accumulating another degree because we need some more initials after our name. Maybe it's possessions. You know, my, my waiting for my bag, it ended. I, I got my bag, and, and it is beautiful. It's wonderful. I, I got to tell you, come by my office. I will tell you all about it, the thick leather, and, and I'll let you smell it. It still smells really good after eight or so years. But if I acted or talked as though my life had found completion because I had this bag, this possession, you would think I was crazy. And you would be right. I would be crazy. Right? There is no possession that can fill what it is that I am longing for. There is no relationship and there is no career that is going to satisfy us. Now, that is not what we are waiting for. You see, these things aren't strong enough to bear the weight of our desires. They, they aren't what we've been waiting for. The famous French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal when he was talking about these desires that we have, these longings that we have to, to find satisfaction, he said this. He said that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him. Maybe like possessions, relationships, career, reputation, whatever. He he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Did you hear what Pascal is saying? He's saying that in every one of us, in our very souls, there is an abyss. And we are trying to fill that abyss, that hole that exists in the life of every one of us. And we're trying to fill it with relationships, with success, with reputation, with possessions. We're trying to fill it with anything that we can stuff into it. But as we try and fill it, what we find is that every one of those leaves us wanting. That the only thing that can fill the abyss that is within the heart of every man is God himself. That is why Simeon can say, your servant can now depart in peace. Because what he has been waiting for and what every one of us has been waiting for and longing for has come. But he has not just come to, to live, to dwell amongst us. He has come to bring what it is that we need, and that is salvation. It's what Simeon sings of in verses 30 and following. He says, My eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, I want you to notice a couple things about the end of his song. Notice that he didn't say a salvation as though this is one among many. He said, God, this is your salvation. This is the only salvation. This is the only one that is offered. That it's not through our works or our accomplishments. It's not through another religion. It is only through Christ. 
And notice also that this salvation, it's not just for the Jews, but it's an offer of salvation for all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. You know, one of the things I've been struck by as we've been going through these songs is how much they are founded upon the Old Testament. Have you noticed that? Like maybe, maybe in your Bibles you have the cross-references and you're just seeing like Isaiah and Psalms and Exodus and all these different books of the Old Testament being referenced because these songs are littered with Old Testament allusions and direct quotes. But, you know, may, maybe next year that's what we'll look at in Advent. We'll look at the Old Testament versions of these songs, but that would be fun. But for now, what we see is that they are filled with these promises. These promises. And one of the greatest promises of the Old Testament is that when Christ would come, when Messiah would be born, that salvation would extend from the Jews into all the world. A light for the Gentiles. Those who were walking in darkness would see God's light. That is the promise that was made to Abraham. Paul says in Galatians that that was the gospel that was spoken to Abraham. That the gospel would go forth. That salvation would come. Now listen, don't don't hear this as some sort of universalism. When the gospel goes to all the nations, it's not as though everyone will be brought in. In fact, Simeon says that some will not. When he pronounces his blessing at the end in verses 34 and 35, he says, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He's saying that that some will hear and believe, and they will be risen up, but others will hear and reject it, and they will be cast down. When the gospel goes out to the nations... It's not saying that all will be brought in. It's saying that the gospel is offered to all. This means that there is only one salvation for the Jews, and there is only one salvation for the Greek, and there is only one salvation for the American and the European and the Asian and the African. There aren't many salvations. There is only one, and he is Jesus. He is the one who has come. He is the one that we have been waiting for. Salvation that comes not through his birth, but through his death and resurrection. The only salvation of the Father. This time of year, our world sings of peace and goodwill toward men, but that peace and goodwill only comes through the blood of Christ. It comes only through the Savior who has come. That is what we have been waiting for. But friends, we still wait. Still wait, not for his first coming, but we wait for his second coming. His second coming, when when he will bring to fruition what he has already begun, when his salvation will be made known, when he will return, and he will consummate that salvation in his new kingdom. We wait. Waiting is hard. It is hard. We long for that day. I long for it. I want him to come. The Apostle John, he said, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. As we look at the world and we look at our hearts, we look at our lives, and we long for that day when his salvation will be consummated, when we will dwell with him for all eternity. And so we wait. We wait, but we wait with expectation. Not impatience, with expectation, because we can be certain that just as he came once before, that he will come again. And we will know in part 
we will know in full what we only know in part. His salvation is for us. More than anything else, we will know that the wait is worth it. That Christ, our Savior, he is worth it. He is worth the wait because he is what we have been longing for. And he is what the world, the nations, has been waiting for. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we do thank you that you have sent our Lord, our King, our Messiah, our Christ, to live and to die and to rise again, that we need not wait, but that we can have great expectation and hope that salvation has come, that we can be certain, Lord Jesus, that you have dealt with our sins and that in dealing with them, you will come again and you will make all things new. We long for that day and we ask that you would give us patience. We also ask that you would hasten on that day, that you would come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly and claim us as your own. Establish your kingdom, we pray. And all God's people said together.